have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab one, and we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Something's going on with my eyeball. I know, I'm not sure what's going on, but we'll, we'll try to make it through this. Um, we're going to keep, keep marching on in our pillars of our faith, what marks us distinctively as a body of believers. And today I want us to look at the church as a whole. Um, I want to look at what Jesus said about his church. Um, and if you've come in here for the first time, You've come at a great, great day. It's going to be a great day uh, because we get to talk about what Jesus is passionate about and also what I am passionate about and what all of us are, I hope, passionate about. If you're not passionate about it, then get with the program. What is the church? What is the function of the church? What does it look like when the church is... Following the way of Christ, Jesus is going to shift us into a direction um, that will lead us into what the church is, and even our boy Peter is going to give us a great vision of the church. A lot of times we give Peter, um, we give him a lot of slack a lot of times, and you know he gets it, and he does, he gets it wrong a lot, but this time, finally. Peter going to make his mama proud. And so Matthew chapter 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Like I'm, I'm inching towards 40 and like parts of my body are just like already turning off. And I don't know what's up with my eye right now, but we'll just, we're going to, we're going to pray in a moment. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea, Philippi, he said to his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, well, Jesus, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, one more time, let's pray over the reading of God's word this morning. God, thank you so much uh, for your word. In it, it is life, and in it, it is light. And what the light does is it causes division among the darkness. So God, would it divide the darkness out of our hearts? in our minds, divide what is wrong and bring it to light, God, and bring us into your glorious light. Though it may have been my words that spoke, it was your word that we just heard, and your word brings life and salvation. So for those who are here this morning who need that saving hand of Jesus Christ to rescue, redeem them, would you be mighty to save in this room in Jesus' name? 
Amen. What is the church? We believe that the church is the body of Christ in the world today. That's a simple definition of what we believe the church is. In the New Testament, the church is a local body of baptized believers. And we also believe that the head of the church is not led by a man, but is led by the God-man, Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. He is our shepherd. And underneath Jesus, then, there are men that he entrusts as bricks and mortar to build upon the church that Jesus just told us that he started in Matthew chapter 16. We also believe that the biblical purposes of the church is just to worship. And to worship means that we are singing, we are preaching, we are reading scriptures together, we are communing with each other, we are participating in baptisms and praying and evangelizing and and fellowshipping and, and discipling new believers and older believers as well. We also believe that through worship, we are worshiping God through our deeds and ministries to other we also believe, here's, here's a good one, that the church is essential. Although many governors across the state over the past year or two would say that strip joints and abortion clinics and, and all these wicked things are essential, they marked and deemed that the church was not essential, except for some pastors who were bold enough to stand in the faces of some of these wicked governors and say, no, 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 according to my scripture, the Bible, um, the church is also essential. So we believe that the church, the ecclesia is the word Jesus uses here in the Greek. The ecclesia, the the gathering of the body of believers centered around one man and one historical event that took place. The church is essential. And we believe that it's essential because Jesus said that he is the one who started this church. And if Jesus said he's starting the church, then can this church fail? Can anything that Jesus says that he's going to do or that he's going to start, can that thing fail? That's a great question to, to ponder, especially in the culture that we live in, that the church did it fail at any point in the history of the church. Well, no, short answer. No, it did not fail. Why did it not fail? Well, because Jesus said that he is starting and building a church. And counter to those who would say that the church has failed and gone apostate, that would counter to the scripture that we just read. Jesus says that he's building a church and he built a church and nothing can stand against the church. One of the ideas that that really kind of sets me ablaze um, what an old man thing to say. Uh, one of the things that I, I do not like to hear is when people say, well, I just don't like to associate myself with the church. Oh, yes, I am a believer, but I'm not too sure about the church. I wonder if you've ever thought about what you've said. That's like Jesus saying, you know what? You said something really bad the other day. I don't think I'm going to associate myself with you any longer. You are a moron. And so now I have nothing else to do with you. Imagine every time you said something that was dumb, 
just like I just said. Imagine every time you said something or did something that was terrible, Jesus is up in the heavens and saying, that's it, no more. I'm not associating myself with you anymore. That's kind of like what happens when we're saying, you know, I love Jesus, but that church I just don't know about. Well, let me just kind of flesh this out for you, if I can, just for a moment and digress upon this sermon, that you are the church. It's not a building. It's not a temple. It's not anything that has actual walls. You are the church. Jesus didn't say, I'm building an incredible building, and boy, it's going to have smoke machines and lights and incredible thumping music that's going to rock people's faces off. I'm building that. No, Jesus said, I'm building an ecclesia, a gathering of people. And so when you say, I don't want to associate myself with the church, you're just saying, I don't want to associate myself with myself. You know, people who say that end up in hospitals. And Jesus said, I'm building a church, this ecclesia, this gathering of people, not a building, something sacred when we live out this ecclesia or or being a gathering of people. The, the church is this gathering of the called ones. And many would say that this is the gathering around the most single important event that ever occurred. And we're gathering around that, that Jesus rose from the grave. What is this gathering of people? What does it look like? What is a a gathering of believers? What does that look like? You can look throughout all of the New Testament and find images and glimpses of what it is to live out and look like this ecclesia, this gathering of people. Just one example, one real quick example. So this sermon isn't really long. In Acts chapter 13, we see what looks to appear to be a bar joke, but it's not. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a close friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul, also known as Paul. And as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Just a real quick, like, broad view of what the church is right here in Acts chapter 13 in just a few verses. You see, number one, that the church is a gathering of all types of people with all types of different backgrounds. They're right here. There are different ethnicities and there are different um, cultural backgrounds. In fact, you had Manaean. He was a friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Not Herod the Great, but he's Herod Antipas, you remember this story of Herod the Antipas, very wicked, crazy guy. In fact, he has his stepdaughter, hope there aren't kids in here. If there are, then you should have sent them all uh, next door. Uh, Very wicked dude. Herod Antipas has his stepdaughter dancing seductively before him. And and he, he gets roused and he says, what do you want? All right, if that's not creepy, name it. And she says, give me the head of John the Baptist. Remember that Herod of Antipas? That's Herod of Antipas. And a guy who's sitting in his court, Manaean, is a leader in the church? All right, come on now. We do background checks. He wouldn't pass. 
Bro, you were right there when little girl was dancing seductively before the king and you didn't stop anything. You didn't say anything. Like, come on, this is awkward family time, right? But here, this guy who has been transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus is a leader in the early church. Now, now, sometimes we could come in here in this room like, well, dude, you don't know my baggage. You don't know, like, what kind of past I have. You don't know my history. And we navel gaze. and We're like, God couldn't forgive me. He wouldn't let me be a part of the church. Read your Bible. There are some wicked dudes that Jesus Christ redeems and sets them as leaders of the church. And Jesus said, I'm building a church, and it's going to come filled with some crazy people. Amen. Most of you should have said amen right there because I know you. Manan, and, and then you get like, then you get this blend of like, it's okay, well, it's not just these Greek uh, men and women. It's not just one ethnic um, party group. It's, it's all types of people. Lucius from Cyrene, he's an African guy here. Manan is a Palestinian Greek and then Saul, who grew up in Jerusalem, and he is this Hebraic Jew, and you have all these people who are crossing these cultural and ethnic backgrounds, and they're all a part of the church that Jesus said that I'm starting. I'm starting a people who will be centered around me, not centered around their ethnic background, not centered around about what kind of, you know, how much money they have. They're centered around Jesus Christ. And these people, they viewed themselves not just what, not from their, their diverse background. They're not, they're not no longer viewing themselves as the, the Greek or they're not viewing themselves no longer as the Hebraic Jew. No, they're viewing themselves as the church, a kingdom citizen. And that's what Paul would call all of these believers to do. It's what Jesus would call them to do. You are now an adopted son or daughter of the Most High, and you are now a part of the church. And so Jesus says, I'm starting this church. So back to the text. And so a couple of interesting things that are happening in this passage. And finally, Peter gets an aha moment of what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is kind of his whole mission here. They're in Caesarea Philippi. There's a lot of idol worship happening. In fact, one of the main gods that they worship was Panaeus, which is the god of panic. They're all worshiping this god of panic. I mean, that sounds great, right? As if your life isn't in, in as much turmoil as it is. I got a great idea. Let's worship the god of panic. I don't know, man. It sounds like America today, worshiping the god of panic. And there were hundreds of gods that... Many of these people were worshiping, and they're at this ancient temple, the epicenter of idol worshiping, and they're, at, they're right here at this spot where Jesus asked this powerful question, who, who do you say that I am? Who do they say to that, I, that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's a question that still resonates in our churches, and, and it's a question that still resonates in our culture today. Who do you say that Christ is? Who do you say that Christ is? It's a question that should be asked 
And it's a question that we should be reminded of because this question, the answer to this question is going to give us a correct view of his church. Who do we say that Christ is? In our culture, many would say that there are many ways to heaven. There are many ways to an eternal life. Many people would have an answer for who do you say Jesus is. Jesus was just a dude. He was just a prophet. He was just a good man who lived morally right. Every religious literature marks at some point in history that there was Jesus Christ that walked on the earth, and everybody has their own view of him. Far be it, it's the wrong view. And it's still this question that's resonating into 2,000 years later. Who is Jesus? And Peter, for all of the mess that we give Peter, and for all the times he does get it wrong, and, and he's just this burly moron, right? The kind of guys that we would love to hang out with, all right? I mean, he's just rough around the edges. That's my kind of guy. Like, give me a church filled with that. I like that. But Peter, man, he, he gets it. And, and he says, well, you are the Messiah, the Son, the living God. He gives us a clear vision of Jesus' church right here. It's a vision of God's church. Who is Jesus? Because if we can get that right, we can have a, a good view of what the church is. Because a church must have a vision of who Jesus is. Because the church is centered around who Jesus is. That's the church. That's the fundamental thing that marks us as believers. Who is Jesus? And Peter gives it to us. He is the Messiah. He is the one who ransomed us from our sins and brought us from death to life. He is the Messiah, the son or the co-equal of God little Trinitarian doctrine right here that Peter has given us. And he's the living God, the one who from eternity's past, from the beginning, has been there all the time. He is Jesus. Peter, at this moment, I think, like he gets in sync with Jesus. And that's so important. Because when we can get in sync with who Jesus is, Things are going to start moving and things are start shaking for us. That's what the church needs to do today. If the if I could speak to the Church of America and, and our church and the Church of Utah, like let's get in sync with what's happening here in this text. With who is Jesus? Is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God? And Jesus says that I'm going to build. He says, "All right, good, you got it, Peter. Congratulations." Peter, on this rock. Now, let me exegete this like correctly for us. Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Not Peter, upon you will I build my church. There's some some Greek words that are happening in here. If we could just put on our theologian hats this morning, because you all are brilliant theologians in this room, right? Okay, neither am I. And, and, and he gives us, right, by the way, I don't, I don't read in the Greek or Hebrew. I just look it up, right? Google's a powerful thing. Um, <laughs> Jesus says, you are Petros. And on, he doesn't say, Jesus, he doesn't say you are Petros. And on this Petros, I will build my church. He says, you are Petros. And on this Petra, I will build my church. 
Petrus is a loose type stone. Petra is a foundation. Petra is the cornerstone. Petra is the essential rock. Because I would just beg to differ with those who think that Jesus is saying that he's going to build his church on a man. He's going to build his church on a fallible man. And why on God's green earth would Jesus do that? He wouldn't. Because Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the one whom he's going to build his church upon. In 1 Peter, speaking of Peter, chapter 2, verse 4, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundational rock on which his church is built. The Old Testament's prophesied about this. When we look at this, this evidence, it points us to that Jesus did not build his church on a fallible man, nor would ever Jesus build a church on a man. He builds, him, he builds his church upon himself. He is the cornerstone. He is the solid foundation. He is the one. And Peter, Peter, you're just like this, you're like a loose rock. You're a brick. You're brick and mortar. And he's choosing to use people to help build this church upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. We are just bricks and mortars. That's all we are. Jesus is the solid rock foundation that he says, I'm going to build my church. I mean, let's just be honest. Peter probably wouldn't have made it past like fifth grade. All right, fifth grade's hard. Peter probably wouldn't have made it past kindergarten. I mean, I've seen fifth grade homework. It's hard. Like, how did I even make it out? Why are you even listening to me, right? That's, that's how I feel sometimes when I look at my daughter's homework. He, Jesus sees Peter with probably fish and fish guts on him. And he says, I'm going to use you to build my church. And this church will impact continents in the whole world globally. And I'm going to use you, Peter, to do that. It's going to be built upon me. How do we... How do we continue to build upon this church that Jesus says that he's starting? If, if Christ says that this ecclesia, this gathering of people is what defines the church, and he says that I'm building this church, and I believe that Christ is still building his church because he has not returned, and so he's continuously building. His kingdom is continuously growing. So what does that mean for us? Like, What, is, what part do we play in that. If Christ is building his church and he has not failed and Christ is still building his church and he is the cornerstone upon which his church is being built. And what does that mean for us? Just a few little nuggets here that we build the church with the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. We build the church with the gifts that he has given us. You can read through Corinthians and Paul's uh, letter to the church of Corinth. How and he talks about, like, we all have been given gifts. And he, and he illustrates it with a, a cool little 
um, sermon illustration when he talks about body parts, you would think that Paul had gone weird. And, and indeed, it is an interesting uh, anatomy lesson. And he says, many of you are fingers and toes and, and, and heads and, and all of these different body parts. And, and you all have a function to play in this. And that's the Holy Spirit's gift to you. All right, think about that illustration, um, body illustration, if we can, without making this any more awkward than I feel like it's already gotten. Um, some of you are, are, are fingers, and some of you are pinkies, some of you are butts, and some of you are, are, are feet, and some of you, and that's a true statement, some of you are ears and noses and eyes, and, and so you all have this part to play because God has given you a gift to build the church. And when you don't play your part, you've handicapped right? That's the illustration that's being given from Paul. When a certain function of your body is no longer working, you've handicapped yourself. And so likewise, like, like if Jesus is building this church and he's continuing to use bricks and mortar, and we are those bricks and mortars that he's using to build his church, when you're not playing your part, you handicap the church. And, you know, some people are like, well, dude, I'm not. I'm just like a pinky toe, right? Stub your pinky toe and let's see how, how good that works out for you. You'll understand how important your part is. I've broken, I've never broke a bone, right? Never broke a bone in my body. I'm almost 40. But past two years, I've broken two toes. Not one, two. All in sync within like a six-month period of time. One got healed, bam, hit the other toe, broke it, popped that joker. You know, who would think that a toe plays an important part? Break it and find out. You, you think that your part is insignificant. Just wait. When you're not playing that part well, it hurts the body of Christ. Whatever the gift that God has given you, it plays a vital function in the church that Jesus says he's building. Not only do we build, continue to build the church with our gifts, but we continue to build the church, but just like, like that idea of ecclesia, like belonging and, and being a part of the church. Like not attending. I'm not talking about attendance, all right? We don't take attendance. I just think that's lame. Like we're not talking about attendance. We're talking about you joining in, belonging into the body of Christ. Not just coming in and like late and like leaving as early as possible because you do not want to shake anybody's hands. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you diving into, belonging to, being a family together. That's, that's the church. I think another element to this is just kind of realizing that this right here, what we're doing is just a lot larger than any of us that this church that Jesus is building is a lot bigger than what, what's happening right here in this, this room. Jesus said, I'm building a church. And then he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm gonna read that just slow one more time. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. A lot of things happening in that just one simple line. And the gates of hell will not stop it. Indicating, number one, that the church can't be stopped. As much as bad rap as the church gets in our culture, 
as much as we see, even in America, a declining of the church, it still cannot be stopped. Where we may see a decline in church in America, we see a growth rate of the church in Asia that is exponentially insane. And of course, that calls for more suppression and oppression from the government. And that's okay because wherever there is oppression from a government entity, there the church will flourish even more. So I say to the Chinese Communist Party, keep on oppressing God's people because it will sooner or later squish you out of power. And anywhere that happens, that's where you'll see the church flourish. So it may be that maybe where we are starting to feel a bit of a sting in the church of America, that maybe God's mercy and grace setting us up for a revival in our country. So, and the gates of hell will not stop what God said he's starting. And then you look at this at face value and you see this, and the gates of hell will not prevail. What is a gate of hell prevailing against anything? Why do you have a gate? And this is, I've, I think I've preached from this text many a times and I've always been baffled by this, thinking that, ooh, a gate, right? You ever thought of it? Ooh, Satan's got a gate. Okay, if, if someone comes to you in a fight and they're, let's, let's just be straight, and they're carrying a, a gate, how intimidated are you? Shaking in your boots crying back to mommy, mommy, he had a gate. Really? Bro, I'm carrying. I ain't got no gate. I mean, that's dumb. Who carries a gate to a fight? So what is the purpose of the gate? To keep you out of it. To keep the church from storming. So all Satan has as a defensive mechanism in this fight. And we look at this and we're like, oh, Satan's got a gate. He ain't gonna use it against us. Like, grow up. God has given you the keys to the kingdom. And we're shaking around the church of America afraid of a dumb gate that Satan has. It's absolutely bonkers and madness that the church would be so afraid of the enemy that the only tactic they have is a gate. You know what gates are used for? To keep you out. That's what gates are used for. And Jesus is like, y'all, I'm going to tell you the playbook of the enemy. You ready for it? They're just trying to keep y'all out. They're just trying to keep the church from advancing and marching into the lame gate of hell. That's all the tactic of the enemy. Here Jesus is telling us, here's your mission, church. You ready? Storm the gates of hell. We know your mission and your call and your life is to go in the darkest places of society and go get them. Go get the people. That's what Jesus is illustrating to us here. So, You're centered around the God-man, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so here's your charge, church. You ready? Go storm the gates of hell. Go into the darkest places of society and carry the light of Christ in there. Because what's what's the devil going to do? Nothing. He's just got a gate. 
And so here we are as a church, and we're just, we're cowardly, like, oh no, Satan's got a gate. What do we do? You storm it. That's what you do. You go to where the people are being oppressed. You go to where the people are being marginalized. You go into the darkest places of society. You go to the abortion clinics. You go and you storm those gates of hell. Because Jesus said that I'm building a church and these gates of hell cannot stop the church. Why? Because Jesus doesn't fail. And it's again, like, then he goes on. He's like, I'm giving you these keys to the kingdom. And so here we are acting like we got a key. And it's just like, well, what do we do with it? Well, you go get in your dang car and you storm the gates of hell. That's what you do. But we think like when Jesus is saying these words, it's like this, I've never been given keys to a fancy car, okay? That's also an invitation. If you have a fancy car, you can give me your keys. But anyway, but I've never been given keys. I mean, come on, y'all. I drive a Kia, all right? But I've never been given keys to, that's wrecked, by the way, to a fancy car. And you know what I would do with it? I would drive that joker safely as I can. I wouldn't want to, like, bump it. I mean, I wouldn't want a deer to come out in front of me again, you know? I'd be too scared and skittish. Man, I'm going to wreck this car, y'all. That's the church. We're just so scared. We're going to wreck God's car. But he's given you the keys to something that's powerful and something that's unstoppable, something that's immovable, something that he said that is starting and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it because he has given us the keys to this kingdom to go out and charge culture around us, to go out and stand in the public square and proclaim the kingdom of God and to go into where policies are being made and to proclaim the kingdom of God and to go into the abortion clinics and to proclaim the kingdom of God. He's given us these keys to go out and spread the kingdom message of Jesus Christ that Jesus said he's building and here we are 2,000 years later. Jesus is still continuing to build a church, the gates of hell. When we march with purpose that he's given us, when we march with this identity of who Christ is and that mission of what he's given us, then nothing can stand in our way. No governments, no kingdoms, no politicians, none of that can stand in the way of a church on mission to storm the gates of hell. So just two quick thoughts and two quick questions and I'll be out of your way. Um, Really, these are just two really choices that we have uh, together as a church that we could either um, join in to what God has said he's starting and we can play it and we can, we can fight and we can proclaim and we can do what God has gifted us to do. Or we could just sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else do it. You know, 
scared to drive the, the car of God, right? The proverbial keys. Or, or we could just, you know, let somebody else do it because I'm just not good enough. Or, you know, you can continue to navel gaze and do what you're supposed to be doing, you know, and your shame and guilt. Or, or we can join in this fight. And I think those are the options that we have to continue to build with bricks and mortars and to build God's church or we can just sit on the sidelines. For 2,000 years, people have laid aside their comfort so that you and I would know who Jesus is. People have laid aside their, their comforts, their preferences, so that we could sit in this room and be a part of the kingdom of God. We are all a result of someone doing that. We're all a result of someone laying aside their convenience and their comfort. Would you do the same? Lay aside your comfort and your preferences and be a part of the church that Jesus said he's starting and the gates of hell will not stand against it. That's the church. That's the church of Jesus Christ. What are its functions? What does leaders look like? That's another day. Let's pray. Thank you.